there are significant pressures of what it means to live in the suburbs. And too often we're sold this lie that, hey, when you make it to the suburbs, you have made it. Hey, well, good morning, folks. Um, thank you guys for being here today. It's an exciting day for us. New stuff, new uh, new car. We're kicking the tires today, so thank you for being with us. Thanks, you guys, for being here live. Thanks for uh, our online folks being with us as well. Special welcome to you if you're new with us. My name's Joe Hess. I'm the Caring Connections Pastor here. So just to get it out in the open, I have issues. Um, um, <laughs> there's a sign in our neighborhood on someone's fence that says warning, then there's a picture of this dog, and then it says, I have issues. I, sh I shared some of that story with you guys a month or so ago. Um, uh, that week, uh, I get an Amazon package anonymously, and it's got a t-shirt in it that says, warning, I have issues. So just, just telling you guys up front, I have issues. Um, um, I also have issues I've got at the house. I've got late-season sprinkler issues. Um, uh, there was a leak at our valve box, kind of the, the central system of our, our, our sprinkler system. My wife noticed it first. She not only saw it, she, she heard it. It was, a, it was a big leak. And a little bit before that, I had seen it, but I had rationalized that, hey, it rained like three weeks ago. It's just moisture from that. I, I, I can ignore it. I can rationalize it. I walked right past it. Uh, a week ago Saturday, I start to uh, um, uncover my, my valve box and my, try, try to fix it. And I'm thinking in my mind, easy fix, maybe four hours. If I start early, I'll be done by lunchtime. Um, over on Holly, there's an Ace Hardware store called Big Toolbox. It is one of my favorite places in the world to go to. They have such cool stuff there. Some of the stuff, I don't even know what it is, but I love going there. And if you ever have sprinkler issues, this is the place to go to. They have this room downstairs. You have to go down this narrow staircase, but there's a special room for sprinkler people. Um, I was telling Mona, my assistant, that, um, that uh, I felt like I we both raised Roman Catholic. I felt like I was going to confession. I brought my manifold with wires hanging off of it, and I, I come down, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. And no exaggeration, I go up to the counter, there's a customer in front of me, he's talking to the guy behind the counter. He turns, he turns to me, looks at me, looks at what I'm carrying, and says, you need to help this guy, he has issues. <laughs> <laughs> I told you, I got the t-shirt. I have issues. <laughs> I mean, it, it's for real. Um, oh, gosh. So, so I start um, uncovering this. I'm thinking it's a simple fix. Even if I have to duct tape it, temporarily fix it, I, I can do it. But it was much worse than that. I had to replace the manifold. I had to replace all the valves. I had to replace the backflow preventer. And if you know sprinkler language, it's a big headache and connect all the pipes, uh, uh, replace the, the, the valve box. I mean, it was a headache. Four trips to, to Ace Hardware. Th three for parts. One, the last one, I forgot the credit card. I was so flustered, I forgot the credit card. Um, I, I was on a mission. I was on a mission to fix, last Saturday, a week ago Saturday, I was on, on this mission to fix the sprinkler system. I mean, it was, I mean, get out of my way. I've got, I've got to fix this. Weather's coming. The bane of every homeowner in the suburbs, you've got to blow out your sprinklers before the freezing weather comes or they'll bust. I had to fix my sprinkler system so it wouldn't bust. I had to fix it so it wouldn't bust more. Um, so focused. I'm focused on this thing. Get out of my way. And somewhere along, um, you know, Saturday, as I'm fixing this, I'm thinking, you know, this is, to be this focused on this, it's not healthy. 
And I'm thinking, you know, something serious could happen, like my neighbor's house could catch on fire, and there would be a part of me that would ignore it totally. Hey, I've got important stuff to do here. I gotta, I'm, on a time, I'm on a time frame. I've got important stuff. I've I got to fix this. Weather's coming in. Let the house burn. I've got to take care of this. I told you I had issues. A couple weeks back, different story. Um, Brent Day, one of our just gifted sound guys, IT guy, just a good guy, all-around guy, we're joking about something in the office, uh, and he says, Joe, you know what you need? You need Jesus. And he's true. I need Jesus, for sure. Um, before I pray us in to the message this morning, um, I just want to lift up some folks. Um, you know, to get all of this, folks were here last night till past 10 o'clock. Um, for the last two weeks, Clear Wing, uh, we've got a couple of their guys helping us out, Sam and Mike today. But Brent and James and Johnny and Todd, um, and all the volunteers, Ken Brightcruz, they have just done an amazing job. If we could just give them a round of applause for all they've done. <laughs> just amazing. They worked sun, sun up to sundown and, and then beyond. So if you see those guys, just thank them, okay? Um, we're going to look at um, a story from Luke this morning. It's called the, the Good Samaritan story if you've been around church for a while. It's in Luke, Luke chapter 10 starting with the 25th verse. Um, let's go to God's word. And I ask you to listen carefully, not so much with here, but with here, okay? Um, this is God's word. I'm going to use the New Living Translation. Uh, it may be a little different than yours, but they're close, okay? I promise you that. Listen carefully. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with your whole heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind, and love Jesus as yourself. Yes, right, Jesus told him. Do this, and you will live. But the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with this story, this parable. A Jewish man was traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant, a Levite, some, some translations say, walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. And then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. And going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. And then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. The story ends. Jesus goes back to the, the expert in the law. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits, Jesus asked. And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Go and do likewise. That's the story. If you've been around church a while, you've heard this story before, often referred to as the Good Samaritan story. It's one of my favorite stories. And most of us want to give the priest and the Levite a bad rap. And they deserve it. But I've been the priest. 
I've been the Levite. And maybe you have been too. And we'll dig into that in a bit. I want to fuss with the lead-in to this Good Samaritan story. The lead-in to this story starts with a question. And for me, maybe you, it's sometimes in the questions that I learn the most. Those questions that I wrestle with, fuss with. Those questions that bother me in the middle of the night because there's no easy answer. Maybe it's in the wrestling. Maybe it's in the fussing that perhaps we are changed here. Our hearts may be softened. A few weeks back, my neighbor who flies the Green Bay Packers flag um, every Sunday, I try not to hold that against him, um, he was walking his dog past, past our house and he had a t-shirt on it that said W-I-G-T, W-I-G-T. And I asked him, Dan, what's, what's W-I-G-T? And he said, what's it going to take? What's it going to take, W-I-G-T? And he said that was their sales slogan a couple years back for the company that he works for. W-I-G-T, what's it going to take? This gospel story this morning, it's a W-I-G-T story. It's a what's it going to take story. The text says, an expert in religious law asks Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? W-I-G-T, what's it going to take? And Jesus turns the question back to him, what's written in the law? What's the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And the man says, love the Lord your God with your whole heart, with your whole soul, your strength and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And I love how Max Lucado sums this up. Love God with everything you've got. Love the things that God loves. Two things we've got to focus on. Love God and love our neighbors. Simple enough, love God, love our neighbors. Easy enough to say, but yet so hard to do. W-I-G-T, what's it going to take? Love God with everything you've got. and Love your neighbor. Jesus says, good job, you answered correctly. Do this and you will live. W-I-G-T, what's it going to take? Love God, love your neighbor. Then the expert tries to justify himself and he asks the next question, and who, who is my neighbor? Then it's an interesting exchange, isn't it? There's a part of me that thinks this guy, this expert in the law, he's just being a jerk. There's a crowd of folks starting to follow Jesus And maybe this guy views Jesus as competition. He's trying to test Jesus. Maybe put him in his place. Trip him up a bit. But maybe, maybe, maybe he's being sincere. I don't know. The the questions to me seem pointed with an edge. But Jesus' response to the questions are anything but pointed. Jesus is teaching here. He's teaching the expert in the law. He's teaching the crowd that's listening. Teaching us too believe if Jesus goes toe-to-toe with this guy, tit-for-tat, a head battle, I'm thinking no change happens. But Jesus goes heart-to-heart. Loving teacher, grace-filled teacher, he gently pulls the expert in the law into the story, and the story grabs him, maybe changes him. The Grand Canyon teaches us soft water beats hard rock every time. Soft water beats hard rock every time. And maybe Jesus teaches us the same way. Soft water beats hard rock every time. And who is my neighbor? Man was going down, here's the story, man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, suburb of Jerusalem, and he gets attacked by robbers. Blindsided, caught off guard, he gets beat up, stripped, robbed, knocked out maybe, definitely knocked down, bleeding badly for sure, left half dead beside the road. Half dead. His life is in the balance. He could go either way. 
Two guys walk by. First guy, a priest, a guy that would go into the inner sanctum of the temple, the holiest of holies, and burn incense before the Lord. He sees the man hurting. He sees him hurting, unable to help himself, and walks on the other side of the road. The temple assistant, the Levite, again, another person supposedly close to God. He sees this beat-up guy groaning in the dirt. He angles, the, he angles across the road and passes him by. Why? Why do these two guys, church guys, supposedly close to God, why do they walk on the other side of the road and pass him by? This is, this is audience participation. Um, no right or wrong answer. Audience participation. Why do those two guys, the two church guys, why do they walk across the other side of the road? Folks who are watching online, you can enter it into the chat. No right or wrong answer unless you say the, the guy was going to fix his sprinkler, and we all know they didn't have sprinklers back then. It was all zero escaping. Um, but why, 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 why did they cross? Too busy, yes. Fear, yes. Say that again. No love, yes. Maybe they were tired, worn out. But fear, busy, all of those things are true. F- focused on something insignificant. Not this guy beat up on the road. Here's some of the things that I write down in my, my little journal that I keep. Fearful of their own lives. Afraid to get involved. Afraid they would get beat up too. Not qualified. I'm a church guy, not a paramedic. I wasn't ready. It caught me by surprise. Just like Drew Locke in that Baltimore Ravens game. I didn't get enough reps and practice. Um, it scared me. I thought he was dead or about to die. I thought there's no way he's going to make it. Not worth the effort. We don't mix with those people. Cultural bias. Conventional thinkers, unworthy, outcast, too busy, like you guys said, overbooked, late for the next thing, for the next church meeting. It's messy. I've got good clothes on. Other folks will come along. They'll take care of them. We rationalize all kinds of things. He probably deserved it, knucklehead. This is a tough stretch of road. Should have been more careful. Both guys see this guy with their eyes, but not with their hearts. These eyes see information and problems. So does a hardened heart. But these eyes, a heart of hearts, sees a hurting man who needs help and compassion. I love this Bob Goff quote. Somebody sent it to me this week. We don't always get to pick the parable we're living, but we do get to choose who we are in the parable. I have been the priest and the Levite in this story, sometimes embarrassingly so. This is a few years back, like in 1995. I used to be in good shape. I used to run a couple of times a week with a bunch of guys from church up at Deer Creek Canyon open space. We'd meet there early in the morning before work, and we'd go run for an hour or so, and then head our separate ways. And one morning, I remember it like it was yesterday, and this dates the story. At the trailhead, there used to be a payphone. For younger folks, if you don't know what a payphone is, just Google it. You'll see what that is. Um, <laughs> But we finish running and we're talking at the trailhead. And out of the periphery of our vision, we see this woman walking up to the payphone. She's got a blanket around her. But we didn't pay her attention. But we should have. It's early in the morning. There's no car. There's not a lot of walk-up traffic to this park. A couple of minutes later, a fire truck pulls up and paramedics jump out and start helping this woman. We say, okay, what, what was all of that about? Clueless, we leave, and as we're coming down the road that leads to the park, we see what happened. This woman had rolled her car. She was broken 
and scared and hurting, and we missed it. It was a long time ago, 1995. This story happened, um, this story happened way before I went to seminary. I didn't know anything back then. I should be much better now, older, wiser, wider. Shoot, I'm the Karen Connections pastor. Um, but this story happened last week, a week ago Thursday. I get up early, I go work out, I make my to-do list. I've got a full day. I am a, a list maker. I have this nice to-do list. I have my to-do list. I'm, I love checking things off. I love feeling like I'm doing things. On my way into church that morning, I get a call from Margaret Rao, one of our great admin folks here at church. She had just gotten off the phone with, um, with someone. Someone's uncle had just died last night. Please call back ASAP. Longtime member here. He'd been ill for a while. I'd done his wife's graveside service, my first funeral here after Daryl had left back in 2016. Please call back ASAP. I didn't want to call back ASAP. It was not on my to-do list that day. And um, I love, I love what I get to do here. I love walking with people in their stuff. Never hesitate to call. I was just having a bad day. We've all had bad days, right? As much as I want to be the good Samaritan in this story, I have been the priest and the Levite more times than I care to admit. Son of a biscuit, I am still the priest and Levite. I've seen things with my eyes, but not my heart. Jesus' words to his followers, to me, they have eyes, but they do not see. The good Samaritan sees the beat-up man with his heart. And I love how the, the New Living Translation calls the good Samaritan the despised Samaritan. He just names it. There's, there's bad, bad blood between the Jews and the Samaritans. No mincing words here. Jews hated Samaritans. Samaritans hated Jews. Broncos and Raiders play today. If you've ever been to a Broncos-Raiders game, you know what I'm talking about. There's bad blood between teams, between players, between fans. The despised Samaritan sees the beat-up Jewish man. He sees him just like the other guys saw him, but the text says he felt compassion for him. Other translations say he saw him and had pity on him. The message translation says the Samaritan's heart went out to him. The good Samaritan saw the beat-up man with his eyes and his heart, and he acts. Love in action. The good Samaritan moves from here to hear, to hear. He moves from his head to his heart to his hands. He goes to the man, pours oil and wine on his wounds. He soothes his wounds. He takes some of the pain away. He bandages them up as best he can. He puts the man on his donkey, takes him to the inn where he takes care of him overnight, leaves money with the innkeeper to make sure the man is taken care of, tells the innkeeper, if the bill is higher, next time I'm here, I'll take care of it. The story, the parable ends there. And then Jesus asks the clinching question. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? And the man replies, the one who showed, the one who showed him mercy. Yes, yes, yes. Now go do the same. Go and do it likewise. And to the Jewish audience, the Samaritans are never the heroes in the story. This is not the way the story is supposed to play out. The Jewish folks are supposed to be the heroes, not the Samaritans. No, no, no. 
But Jesus is for people, all people. For God so loved the world, especially broken people, sinful people, tax collectors and the like. Folks who knew they were broken and needed Jesus. Folks with issues. Folks with t-shirts, folks without t-shirts. Folks that maybe look like us, like you and me. I believe the heart of this story is love. It's where God wants us, it's what God wants the church to look like. God wants the church to look like him, like Jesus. The good Samaritan in this story, it's Jesus and his love, his compassion for his people, for us, broken, beat up. Jesus sees us. And he comes to us and loves us with over-the-top care. The core value of the church is love. Not just talking about it, but love in action. Love does kind of stuff. When we look like Jesus, the good Samaritan in the story is us. Let me hold the mirror up to you guys for a little bit. Not to brag on us guys or get giddy about what we've done, but I think it's important to remember how God has stirred us into action and how we responded, sometimes willingly, sometimes not so. The Lions Flood up north of here, this time of year, 2013. I remember Pastor Daryl and Garen going with us. We helped rebuild a town that was devastated by the floods, seeing with our hearts, responding with our hands. Going back, going down to Port Arthur, Texas, 2017, 2018, to help after the hurricanes down there, to help with this church down there after much of the help had gone away, a church that had gotten flooded out, water up to its gills, helping to rebuild that church, seeing with our heart and responding with our hands. And not just the folks who went down there, but the folks who helped get us there, folks who bought chairs to fill their sanctuary. And then just a year or so ago, going down to Puerto Rico, Parts of Puerto Rico still recovering from the hurricanes. The week before we go, the southern part of the island hit hard by an earthquake. Pastor Ike shared some of this story last Sunday. God's call to us to do something way beyond ourselves, something audacious. Yes, audacious. Seeing the need with our hearts and responding with our hands. Again, not just the folks who went, but the folks who made the trip possible, financially helping put care kits together. Folks going down, some reluctantly, but going. We had 19 folks from our church go. And we went down with other area churches. That's really how we connected to Pastor Reuben and Mount Air Christian Church, a church dedicated to helping those that life has beat up. And funny, it it takes a hurricane 3,000 miles away to bring two churches together that are only 20 miles apart. This type of outreach This is my thing. This type of doing church is my thing. And I confess, some of it's selfish because I know I'll bring my little cup of blessing to a place and God shows up every time with a fire hose that blows my socks off. A blessing back to me, a blessing back to us. And I remember folks, smart folks, folks I love and I know they love Jesus, telling us, don't go to Puerto Rico. You're wasting your money. Just send them money. That will help them the most. And some of that might be true. But I know this. We went down there, did some good stuff, helped some. But those that went down there, every one of them was changed. And we want to go back. We built relationships with those folks. You can't do that if you just send a check. 
Tom Rainer, a guy who studies churches, church growth, church health guru, has written a, a bunch of books, some bestsellers, and one of his bestsellers, Autopsy, it's called Autopsy of a Deceased Church. He shares in that book that the number one reason, the number one reason churches die, dying churches focused on their needs. They stopped focusing on their neighbors. And I'm quoting here, the number one reason these churches closed, they looked inwardly, not outwardly. Their highest priorities were the way they've always done it and that which made them the most comfortable. Their highest priorities were the way they've always done it and that which made them the most comfortable. Jesus warns his followers. He warns us, you want to follow me? You want to really follow me? There's a cost. You've got to deny yourself. Take up your cross. Enter into the battle. To be a good Samaritan, to be a good Samaritan type church, there's always a cost. To be moved by our hearts, there's a cost. Love always costs us something. It's expensive. That's why most folks don't do it. That's the South Suburban Christian Church, South Sub Church's mission since the beginnings, since way back when, was to lead folks to Jesus Christ and to become together passionate followers of Him. Back when this was just a field some 60 years ago now, some folks came out here and wrestled with this question, W-I-G-T, what's it going to take? W-I-G-T. And I don't know who, I don't know how, but somebody with 30 seconds of courage said, let's do it. Let's do it, let's go. I know there's going to be a cost, I know this will hurt, but love's expensive, right? Are people worth it? They went from, they went from here to here to here. They went from head to heart to hands. Who's my neighbor? Here's my thoughts on this. Who's my neighbor? South Suburban Christian Church, South Sub Church, who's our neighbor? God has put us God has put us where God has put us so that our lives could intersect with someone else's and maybe change that life forever. Could we dare to think that we are the answer to somebody's prayer, that God uses us? Coming to church, being a part of church, is not just something we do, it's something we are. It's big. We see stuff, we encounter stuff all the time, maybe not guys beat up on the side of the road, but folks beat up in other ways. Folks going through a divorce or a new job. Folks struggling with work, whether there will be layoffs or not. Kids in crisis. Someone just diagnosed with cancer. Not enough money to make it through the end of the month. Your kid who has a friend whose parents are struggling, fighting all the time. This kid just needs someone to talk to. Do we walk by or do we stop and help? Do we play it safe or do we step in? There's always a cost if we step in. To love costs us something. The cost of following Jesus, right? I'm one of six kids. I grew up on the south shore of Long Island in a little town called Oakdale, about 60 miles outside of New York City, a suburb, if you will. There's an older sister, and then, then me, and then three younger brothers, and then the youngest, my sister Mary. This story takes place in 1983. All of us kids, except my youngest sister, have left the house. We either, we're either on our own or at school. And my parents, after years of raising kids, they only have Mary, my youngest sister, left at home. 
and she's in high school, and she hears this story. Two kids, two refugees from Vietnam, a sister and a brother, both escaped war in Vietnam on a boat, the fall of Saigon. They were put on a fishing boat in the South China Sea. The fishing boat flounders. They were rescued by an oil exploration ship. They ended up in the Philippines. They learned English there, or the best they could learn English there, and they're taken to the States. They end up, the brother and sister end up at my sister Mary's high school. And then there's a, tra- a tragic incident. The girl's brother is killed, and I don't need to go into that detail. But they need to move the girl immediately to another foster home. And the, the, the teachers of the school reach out to the community. This, this kid, this, this girl has been through so much. She needs some stability. The teachers reach out to the parents, to the students. Can someone help us, please? My sister comes home and shares this story with my mom and dad. Dad says, no, no way. We've raised five kids, five kids out of the house. There's, we don't need to raise another kid. No, no, no. Dad says that. That says no from his head. But then mom speaks up. She does from her heart. She reminds my dad of of our stories. You remember when Joe moved out to Colorado? His truck broke down like every 10 miles from here to Colorado. And there were people, people that helped him all along the way, encouraged him, loved on him. Some people we knew, some people we didn't. And do you remember when Al, Allie got to that internship in Chicago? People we didn't know, know welcomed him as their own. Big, scary city, young kid, not knowing a soul. People reached out to him. They became his Chicago family. This is our chance now. Someone is asking for help. And this is who my mom, this is who my mom's heart is. She says, this girl needs a family. I know how to do family. Mom won that battle. Soft water beats hard rock every time. And Wit, that's her name, became part of our family that year. That was back in 1983. We just had this big family reunion this past summer. Wit was right there in the middle of it. She's been a part of our family ever since and always will be. Just a sidebar to the story. You know who Wit is closest to in my family, my dad. Play it safe. Play it safe or step into the adventure. We can play it safe. You can't fail if you don't try. Or we can step into God's whispers for us. God's stirring in us to take action. I believe God's voice, God's will for our lives often leads us to great adventure if we're willing to say yes. This might be off track a bit, but when was the last time, when was the last time you did something for the first time? Or did something way outside of your comfort zone? Something God was stirring you to do? Adopt a child, take the job overseas, change careers, run for office, teach the class, invite the teenage girl from Vietnam into your home. Make a difference. I promise you, step out in faith Without all the answers, God will lead you to some opportunities to love on some folks that need the love of Jesus. Who's my neighbor? Here's my prayer for us. Dear God, lead us to the ones you want us to love. Lead us to the folks that are beat up and broken. Lead us to your people. And remember, we're all broken people. 
We all have issues. Some are more visible than others. St. Paul's prayer for us from Ephesians 1. I pray the eyes of your heart may be opened. I pray the eyes of your heart may be opened in order that you may know the hope to which God has called you. I want to close this message with just some practical ways to love on our neighbors, to become a neighbor. And this is a part of who we are as a church. This is our story. Next Saturday, there's a food drive here. Next Saturday morning, October 23rd, 10 to noon, here at church. Every bit of that food goes to to our church partner, Mount Air Christian Church, to their food pantry. It's up North Lakewood. Since COVID hit, we've done seven food drives for them. This will be our eighth. Two coat and boot drives. This tiny little church in North Lakewood, Sheridan and Colfax, not the greatest part of town. Since January of this year, this is their stats, guests receiving food, 852. Guests receiving clothing, 720. Total guests served 902. Those are the stats they shared with us. I love how these folks, down and out folks, many of them homeless, I love how Mount Air calls them guests. Go to our website. Under our events page, there's a list of things they need. If you're here in person with us, there's a postcard on many of the seats that just reminds you about the date next Saturday, 10 to noon, with all the items that they need. Next one, a trunk or treat at our church. It's a big outreach event we share with our neighbors. That's in two weeks, two weeks from yesterday, Saturday, October 30th, the day before Halloween. From 10 to noon here at church, we're going to love on a whole bunch of our neighbors. Last year, I can't tell you how many people we had. It was just crazy. The the cars were backed up onto Broadway. We would love for you to be a part of that and love on some of our neighbors in the area. Donate um, Come decorate your car, hand out candy, donate candy for us. Come be a part of that event. And the last one I want to share, and this is a tough one, Afghanistan, an Afghanistan refugee informational meeting. It's going to be November 7th, three weeks from today, 4 to 5.30 p.m. here at church. A good friend of mine I worked with 20 years ago called me a couple of weeks back and told me he's got good-paying jobs highway jobs in Denver for folks who don't mind working hard, construction jobs, but career-type jobs. This isn't just for a short time. This is for 10 years. He wants to help Afghanistan refugee families come to Colorado. He wants to hire them. We pulled some folks together from our church, from Love, Inc., Love in the Name of Christ. They connected us with other folks who, who are already doing it, South Fellowship, ACC, the African Community Center, folks experienced in welcoming refugees. This is a big deal to help welcome these folks to our town, to our community. Who's my neighbor? These folks. They have been beat up and they need our help. We've heard some of the refugee stories and they'll break your heart. It's big. It's big with this. It's big with this. Our hearts in our hands. It's big. Love costs. But Jesus reminds us, when you, do, when you do it for the least of these, you do it to me. Afghanistan refugee meeting three weeks from today, five, 4 to 5.30. Three ways to jump in with your heart and with your hands and love on your neighbors. Food drive next Saturday. Trunk or treat two Saturdays from yesterday. And three weeks from today, the Afghanistan refugee informational meeting. Come be a part of some of that. Let the stirrings of your heart, listen to the stirrings of your heart and come be a part. I'll close with this. Um, the Good Samaritan, He could have stayed on his side of the road, but he didn't. 
Jesus could have stayed on his side of heaven, but he didn't. John 3.16, if I could have you guys read this with me together. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son in the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Do we cross the road or not? The Good Samaritan story is God's challenge to us to be the church, good church, to be the hands and feet and heart of Jesus to a hurting world. For God so loved the world, the whole world, all of us sitting here, all of the folks that are online, the folks we know that have pushed away from church and Jesus. For God so loved the world. Our neighbor across the street, the Afghanistan refugees that are coming our way, God, through Jesus, crossed the road, crossed heaven to earth, and extends us grace. Because that's what that is, right? Amazing grace. Are we ready to do the same? I'm going to ask um, Stuart to come up wherever Stuart is. Um, Stuart's dad. Um, usually we pray out of the message into communion. We pray out. Um, I'm going to ask us to sing out um, this morning. I'm going to ask us to sing Amazing Grace. It's right where you are. And I, um, Martin Luther used to say that, you know, when we, when we sing, we pray twice. And I want us to open up our hearts with this song. I want us to open up our hands. And let the word soak in and around you because we are saved by grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but
just a reminder to us that God, through Jesus, crossed from heaven to earth. He crossed the street for us. He models what the Good Samaritan did in the story. Over the top, over the top care, over the top love, grace. We come to the table to remember to embrace that grace. You know, the, the, uh, the expert in the law said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus never answers the question. He just says, you do that, you love God with everything you got, you love your neighbor. You do that, you will live. Present tense. You know, I believe all we have to do, all we have to do to accept the gift of grace, to accept eternal life, is to just believe. The, the, guy, the, the guy that was beat up, the good Samaritan comes to him, he said, the, the guy that was beat up could have said, I, I got it, I'm okay. I'm okay. But he wasn't. We come to the table this morning because we're not okay either. We have, we have issues. We have stuff. We have sin. Jesus said, this is the way. Believe in me. Trust in me. Remember this. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember. Remember. He puts us back together again through this. I'm going to invite our elders to come forward as we remember what Jesus did for us in and through this Last Supper, in and through the cross. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, Jesus took bread. After giving thanks and praise, he broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body, which will be broken and given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember of me. Likewise, after supper, Jesus took the cup. Again, after giving thanks and praise, he gave the cup to his disciples and said, take and drink. This is the cup of my blood, the blood of the new and everlasting covenant. My blood will be shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Um, Heavenly Father, we just, uh, we just come to the table this morning. And Lord, I pray that we can open up, we can open up our, uh, our hands and open up our hearts to you and accept the gift that you've given us. Lord, you, all you ask for us is to trust you, to believe in you, to put our faith in you. And Lord, that's a simple step, but it's a hard step. It's a step of surrender. It's a step of saying, I don't have it, but you do. Lord, I pray just as people come to the table this morning, they will, they will accept the gift of your grace. I pray this in your son Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Let's pray the prayer together that Jesus himself taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. I'm going to ask our, our deacons to come forward, our servers. In a few minutes, we'll receive communion. All are welcome to this table. All that believe, all that accept, all that trust Jesus are welcome to the table. 
There's, um, if, you've, if you're new with us, we have sort of this two-cup system, the bread's in the bottom, the juice is in the top. Come and receive that. Take it back to your seat and receive it there. Um, these, these center sections come to the main aisle and then come around and receive. Folks on the, on, on the window sides, go towards the window and come around. Please come. The table is set.